on that. My heart, let me be as gold and precious silver. Purify my heart, let me be as gold. Pure gold, refine as fire. My heart's one desire is to be. apart for you Lord I choose to be holy set apart for you my master ready to do your will purify my heart cleanse me from within and make me holy Purify my heart, cleanse me from my sin, deep within, refine as My heart's one desire is to be holy, set apart for you, Lord. I choose to be holy, set apart for you, my master, ready to do your will. Amen. Thank you. The King is among us, His Spirit is here. Let's draw near and worship Let songs fill the air. He looks down upon us, delight in His face. Enjoying his children's love and draw by our praise. For each child is special, accepted and loved. A love gift from Jesus to his Father above. And now he is giving. His gifts to us all, for no one is worthless, and each one is called. The Spirit's anointing on all flesh comes down, and we shall be channels for works like His own. We come now believing your promise of power, for we are your people, and this is your hour. The King is among us, 
Spirit is here. Let's draw near and worship. Let songs fill the Jesus, I think you've shown me this morning a picture that really conveys that you and confirms that you are with us. For I saw a figure in white, and it's though you're rubbing your hands with glee. A figure in white rubbing hands with glee, and I thought, is that the Holy Spirit or is that you, Jesus? And I was reminded of the words, or the words came to me, I am he that liveth, that liveth, that was dead. Now I am alive, alive forevermore. And I was just, if I can explain to people, I was only just waking up and I saw this palm outstretched and I thought, why am I seeing a hand? And it's obvious because the confidence is in your hands. We are in your hands, Lord. And this lump of something resting in your palm. Just, it wasn't clenched, you weren't constricting us, but the, the dough was there, and I believe, Lord, that you were showing us that we are the dough in your palm. Mm. I thank you for that confirmation, Lord. We know that we really believe that you are here with us, yes. but it just speaks to me, Lord, that you are. And thank you and bless you, Lord, that you speak to each one of us. Absolutely. Give us the courage and boldness to speak out those things that are on our hearts. That your body will grow and that you will be glorified, Jesus. I believe too, Lord, that you were saying that it was your delight, that you were delighted that we are looking to you and that we are tasting you and that you are calling us and that we are responding, that you are delighted that we are responding to the, to the taste of you, Lord, that there is more to come. Love so amazing 
demands my soul, my life, my all. Amen. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Two Pathways prophecy, yeah? I've heard you talk yes, about it, but I don't think it? I've heard it. No. Okay, well, for completeness sake and for those listening on the um, uh, CD, this is Chris Larkin, um, last August. And those of you who were at the September school know that we had a, um, a moment on the Monday morning uh, when there was a paradigm shift in the heavenlies, which was quite remarkable. Um, and it, it aligned with this. So she says, two pathways. As I was praying about the next season, I felt strongly that what is coming is not a new season, but a whole new era. A time which is more significant than any other time on earth in terms of the church being shaken into the purposes of God. Seasons will merge as we move forward, just as the seasons on earth are being mixed up and weather patterns are surprising forecasters. So the church will begin to be unsettled as the winds of change begin to blow on all that is known. At the start of this time I saw two pathways opening up before each child of God. One was a flat path called known and the other was a steep and winding path called unknown. Along the first pathway were many words of man. The way ahead from the beginning of this pathway seemed to be clear with a clear destiny or destination. Many voices could be heard discussing the best way to walk along this pathway. Along the second pathway were many words of the Lord. The way ahead for this path twists and turns and it's only possible to see a short way ahead. One voice can be clearly heard amidst the stillness and relative silence along the path. I knew that both pathways were costly to build and costly to walk on. Everywhere there were many places at which a toll must be paid in order to go on. The starting point is the same for both paths. They joined together at the beginning and it was possible to start with one foot on each path, but then they widened sharply and the only way to make a step forward was to choose which path to take. Each path was diagonally opposed and it was almost impossible to see the other path once the first steps were taken. Each step on both paths requires choices. Life choices, relationship choices, position and place choices. Once the first steps were taken, there was no more opportunity to have a foot on both paths as one path is the way of human choices and the other is the one to the abandonment of the leading of the Holy Spirit. However, the Lord was present on both paths. He was close to all who were walking on each of the paths. Once a decision has been made and the path was taken, it was impossible to view the other path. This was the grace, grace, the grace and mercy of God, that's a new word, to avoid confusion and judgment among the people. Also, once a path had been chosen, it was almost impossible to turn back. Both paths had the presence and purposes of God on each side, but they were very different. The known path will be for those who have faith to do great things for God. Those who take this path will find they get what they have faith for. Much, quote, success will be evident, and the Lord will be present to speak wisdom to whoever will hear. 
Prophetic voices can be heard on this path and they are true voices, those who have seen what the Lord wants to do, and many of the saints on this path are both courageous and confident in the Lord, eager to serve him and willing to pay the price to see God's will done on earth. The unknown path looks very different. Everyone on this path starts off on their faces, empty of all confidence in their own ability. These people have faith in God but have been brought to the end of their own strength. All old visions and dreams have become meaningless to them as they realise this is a new era and they have nothing in themselves to bring. Badges of success from the past, though valid and true, are irrelevant for the new path. Each one on this path is aware of great weakness in their own ability. They start to walk almost like they're crawling almost flat on their faces, holding on to hope in the strength of Christ. Few voices can be heard at the start of this path, and there's only one prophetic voice to be heard at the beginning. It's a simple phrase repeated over these prostrate saints. Let him who has ears hear what the Spirit is saying. The two paths lay before us, known and unknown. The unknown, where the Holy Spirit is totally in control. The known, where people work hard to serve the Lord. Both paths are populated with God's children. The starting point for the unknown path is realisation, recognition and relinquishment of any vestige of self-reliance or expectation of ability to do anything in human strength. This starting point is not a choice, it's a position where self is at an end, personal bankruptcy, a crashing from self, weakness, wretchedness, blindness and poverty of spirit, of self. Helpless but not hopeless. There's a stillness, a silence, not even sighs or sobs, for these have gone before. At this place, sighs are really too deep to be uttered. <coughs> Excuse me. The last breath of confidence in self is expelled. Leadership on this path will be sacrificial to God and man. It will be to release people. A new kind of church will emerge, built by the Spirit of God and populated by those who have to hear and see what the Spirit is saying and doing. Any other way will be untenable on this path. Badges of success gained before this point in time will be meaningless. They will be a hindrance and a distraction. For it's not what's gone before that will count. It will be each step forward into God's purposes led by the Spirit. This is a new era. New era. You can't read about it, learn about it, think about it or talk about it. For it's not like any time before. It requires a place and position of surrender to human plans or God's leading. Each path will be populated across the span of diversity in the church from Catholic Orthodox expressions through to Pentecostal and Charismatic all coming together by the Spirit of God. This is a time for choices. Many people have been struggling in the past few weeks unsure of what's happening and why they're feeling so unsettled. They know that something is about to change but are not seeing the way ahead. The next few months will be a time of significant choices. 
even the smallest choice would have great significance. The choices will reflect the chosen path. Let us play, pray for right choices, courage and commitment. Thank you, Lord. <coughs> okay. For whatever reason, the Lord wanted you to uh, have that. We need to keep reminding ourselves what we're in and where we're at, don't we? Can have a little prayer then and see where the Lord will take us. Father, thank you that you know who you've called. Lord, you know who you've chosen. You know who you're going to single out. Uh, Father, and you know the, the way they take, you know the way you're going to bring us, you know exactly our training ground, our proving ground. Mm. And Father, Lord, <laughs> you give us no choice really, you see you have a choice, but uh, Father, when we just want to do your will, choice doesn't come into it. Mm. So it's a case of, the answer is yes, Father, whatever, the, what's the question? So Father, just surrender utterly to you this morning. Thank you for the call you're placing right now on that dear one's life. Father, I pray that the sh struggle will be short, mm. uh, that as you show her what it means and she counts the cost, that she'll be able to say cold-bloodedly, yes, because to say no would be to miss seeing your glory mm. and seeing and being part of everything you want to do in this time. In, to, to miss being in bridal, bridal partnership with you and walking with you through the things. So Father, give us ears to hear this morning as we come to look again about the process of growth and how you take us. Father, cause us all to set our sights for being puyos, manifested sons, fully trusted by you, Father. And fully able to be trusted with the things that you want to do through us. Mm -hmm. So, Father, if you want to make a mid-course correction, please stop me. I'm, I'm just listening. So, I'll just go forward till you tell me to stop. Yeah. So, I just bless you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Okay, we got to looking yesterday just at the Nepios stage of growth, really. And we're moving on today to technon or technion, depends on how you want to look at it. Both of them are very similar words. Um, and the second stage, for, for argument's sake, is what we call the technion stage. We looked at the, the nepios, which is always needing seeing to one end or the other's always in trouble when it's a baby and it's either wanting feeding or something's coming out the other end. So it needs lots of attention and a new new babies are like that in the church but when it gets to uh, people wanting to live there for the rest of their life God is just not going to leave them and he needs to cheer them forward um, but we need to be able to discern at what age and what stage people are at so that we know that we're bringing the correct word to them at the right time if, if the Lord should give us a word of correction to bring so the second stage is what we call technion which is anything from an infant, a weaned child, to an older child. And the nepios time really is people who don't know any better. They're babies, they're in the honeymoon period. Um, 
but the technion period is for those who do know the truth and actually just need to practice it. They need constant instruction in right living and at the end of the day is incumbent on all of us to keep God's commandments. The grace of God doesn't give us leeway about doing that. We still have to obey um, the word of the Lord. One of the biggest problems I've found at this stage of growth is the unwillingness of people to accept correction. The reality is that most of us live a long period of time in the world without Jesus and then we come to him and we've picked up so many habits that need correction and correction is a very important part of being part of the body of Christ. And correction is not rejection. But so often people will take correction as rejection even from God himself. And so it is very difficult for him to bring discipline into their lives because they immediately go into a rejection pattern. Um, which means that actually they need to understand who they are and whose they are and that correction is certainly not rejection. I prayed for a long time to have a teachable spirit um, because coming into Christianity when I was 48 I had set ideas about things but I had to pray to be teachable. I still pray for it because none of us have got it and we have to be able to hear from our brothers and sisters. Joyce, well, she did the other day, brought a word of correction to me and I'm able more now to receive correction without um, immediately saying no, 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 yes. <laughs> and I trust she noticed the difference when she brought the word of correction somewhat fearfully. While Carol and Alan were here, they said that oh, Carol did, she had a dream, where Joyce was trying to give me pieces of meat on the end of a pair of chopsticks. So there was a good dis distance between <laughs> us, you see. And and I'm trying to get this bit of meat and Joyce sort of poking it in my ear and up my left nostril. And uh, the interpretation that Carol felt was that Joyce would have words to bring to me, but she was a bit nervous and <laughs> I'm getting them <laughs> So I'm, I'm trying to, you see, one of the dangers is when God has made you with a strong personality and you know that you have it, you can't just pretend it isn't there. You've got to keep praying that he will bend it for his, for his purposes and that strength will be made a weakness and, and used for his purposes. First thing I said to him, you know, take this Lord and do something with it because it won't do. I can see that. So I constantly fight against that, but, but he uses everything, doesn't he? So how we give correction is, is, is very important and this is where we need fathers and mothers in the body of Christ. Every one of us need correction. You can be a Christian for 20 years and still need correction in part of your life. But it has to be loving correction from a father to a son, a mother to a daughter. Correction is not rejection so allow yourself to be corrected. Um, 1 John 2, 1, which is a very interesting uh, scripture we're going to here. John 2, 1. Here we go. My little children. You notice how it says children, fathers, you know, it goes up and down the scale here. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those in the whole world. And he, he goes on and says, you know, if you say you come to go the truth and walk in the truth, walk in it. 
and he tells you to love your brother and uh, and all the, all this stuff. Then he goes on in verse 12, I'm writing to you little children. Verse 13, I'm writing to you fathers. Um, and I'm writing to you children. He goes between fathers and children all the way through. Children, verse 18, this is the last hour. And he's saying to them, take me on, this is the last hour. He's going between the different ways of talking about the ages and stages of growth in there. Very interesting uh, passage. And the whole thing is, is a stuff about children and we really do have to keep pointing the way to Jesus point the whole time to Jesus if you spend any time with me you'll get fed up with me saying have you prayed about it what does the Lord say in fact somebody said to me once if you tell me to pray I'll spit <laughs> I said sorry I'm going to say have you prayed about it you know <laughs> duck so really read verses 1 to 17 when you've got time and verse 28 because the whole thing talks about the necessary ingredients obedience to the truth learning to walk as Jesus walked that we get involved in loving service to people and that we allow the Holy Spirit to develop some sacrificial aspect of servanthood that we become selfless in our approach to people and to God that's one of the hallmarks of a person making the progression from the selfish baby stage because as we said before it's his majesty the baby isn't it when the baby comes everything someone we know is having their first baby and the whole someone's friend's garage is full of the, of the equipment for this coming king or queen whatever it happens to be the amount of gear that's got to be got for this baby is unbelievable we were joking and saying, you know, we used to put them in the bottom drawer. <laughs> the stuff they have to have now. Buggies that go into this, that and the next thing. Baby stations. I mean, used to do it on the settee myself with the towel underneath. I mean, goodness knows. So it's one of the hallmarks of a person making the progression from the selfish baby stage to the selfless moving into maturity in the things of God. And this chapter looks at the value of relationships in the body of Christ, but it's always the injunction is that we must live in Christ. And the word that is constantly used for children in this chapter is technion. It's a term of affection by a teacher to his disciples under circumstances requiring a tender appeal. John is talking to immature people and what he's basically saying is, listen guys, this is the way to grow up in the things of God. You know, I've said to you before, the, if I can remember them, when the rabbis were looking for disciples, because you'll notice that when Jesus went round, he had 10 that were really close to him, 10 or 12. Did he have 12? He had 12, didn't he? 12. Close to him. But there were hundreds that followed him. So a rabbi, which is what Jesus was, would have various tests about how to select the people they were going to go on to discipleship and the ways they did it was like this they described them in four different ways there was the sponge which sucked up everything the good the bad and the ugly um, there was the uh, funnel that took everything in at the top and it all dropped out the bottom I've known people like this hanging on every word wow wow and the next week they've forgotten the lot it's just dropped straight through the bottom so those two were no good and then there was the, the sieve that sieved out all the fine flour and just kept the bits and pieces all the trivia like who was Diotrophanes I need to know who that was 
you know, what the name means and all this sort of thing. Keep all the Bible trivia and none of the meat. And then there was the sifter that sifted the flour, threw away the lumps and kept the fine stuff. So they looked for the ones that were retaining and uh, working with and applying the knowledge that they had. And that was the way they used to select their disciples. I thought it was really interesting the way that Jesus selected his. He went to the fishermen on the seashore and these guys would have actually gone to see if they could be disciples of the rabbis. But they obviously weren't good enough, since gone fishing. <laughs> so he goes and picks up the ragtag and bag bobtail, you know, the tax collectors and the guys doing the fishing and says, you'll do fine. And then says, chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Now you know why that was said, because they were as far as, as the people of that day were, considered that they were foolish but they wished that these men had been with Jesus it says in the King James in other words they realized that these boys had been with Jesus a bit later on so even though they turned them down and counted them as naught God goes round looking for the off scouring you know and picks them up someone said to me once I've said this to you before I can't understand why God chose you I, ca I cannot understand, I just don't know what he was doing. I said, neither do I, it's amazing, isn't it, really? <laughs> I said, I haven't got a clue either, I wouldn't have done if I was him, you know, I mean, but there you are, what can you do about it? He was quite serious, bless him. <laughs> I had to agree. So we don't grow up because we can move in the gift of prophecy or any other gift. That is not evidence of people growing up in God. We grow up in God by the list of things that I just read out in, in 1 John there. We walk as Jesus walked. And you see the same thing in 1 John 3, 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Here we are, technical now then, darlings. Let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. Fairly simple statement. We need to keep on hearing it. He who practices righteousness is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. Doesn't push any, pull any punches, does he, old John? The devil sinned from the beginning. But he who practices righteousness, as we said yesterday, can't sin because he's been born of God. That incorruptible seed within you will not sin. The thing that stifles it is our old nature and our flesh. That is what will stop the growth of the new nature coming forth. And that is what will um, stifle anything that is coming forth if we allow ourselves to walk in the flesh and not after the spirit because we're born again of the spirit of God so it's got nothing to do with our fleshly nature it's in a totally different place this morning while I was going on a quick diversion or down a rabbit trail I was praying about something for Saturday really because immediately as soon God said it was a done deal this is this is in the can get on with Saturday I was praying about Saturday and the slavery to sonship thing and it came into my mind um, what's your heart like uh, what's, is it your heart being a garden for God to live in and I, I began to get a vision of I could see three walls and I knew that in the third wall that which faced me there was a there was a door a very old door 
that low down. Um, but it was overgrown with brambles and you couldn't get to it. It would, you know, cut down. You couldn't see that the, the door was there. I just knew that the door was there. Um, and then I said to the father, what's the garden like then beyond if you can't get into the heart of the person? What's the garden like? Because there was all this preventing you even getting to the door of the heart. So we'll have a look at this, please. So it's about this high, waist high, with this colour grass gone to seed. The whole thing just completely gone to seed. So we had this little conversation. So he said, what do you think I need to do about that? I said, I think I'll torch it, really. No good trying to cut your way into that. you just got to set light to it and burn, burn it. So the next thing I see, it's all been raised to the ground by far. And I said, then you'd have to take the rotivator around, you know, to get there and get that door open, get in there. And then the next thing I saw was this Italianate garden. You know what they're like, you know, the, the pond and the and the and the the, the hedges all complete, absolutely beautiful. I thought, Father, you're amazing. That's what you want to do. So uh, I think probably we'll be doing something like that on Saturday. But very interesting. Good thing to ask him sometimes. What's the garden of my heart like, Lord? And can you get in? <laughs> you know. Because you know it says in the Song of Songs, doesn't it, the king wants to come and drink from the fountain. And you know the kings in those days, in the, the paradise was the king's garden. And he had his own special fountain that only he drank from. And that's what your heart's like. It's the, uh, it's the special place where he alone uh, drinks. So if he can't get in there, it's a bit going to go a bit dry, isn't it? So... I believe that the state that God wants us to bring to is where we are so full of the person of God. We were talking about sin here now in 1 John, uh, that sin becomes foreign. It's a place, it's not talking about sinless perfection, it's a place in God where sin is uncommon to us. And it's possible to get to the place where you can review the day and you can't think of anything to apologise for. I do trust that you all review at least once a day what's happened during the day, how you've managed to, to hold yourself back, <laughs> or if you've let yourself go, uh, to apologise to the Lord. And so you've got a clean slate. It's, it's, it's keeping that clean slate. We talked about it earlier on, didn't we, before God. Because you're not going to get anywhere in the spirit with dirty windows, as I always say. Because all the reflection you'll get coming back when the windows are dirty is yourself. Like in the fish and chip shop the other night. So it's, a, it's possible to get to the place where you can review the day. You can't think of anything to apologise for because you've been in the presence of God right the way through that time. And you have his heart, his way of doing things, his righteousness, his integrity, his morality is actually getting a hold of your life more and more. And even the thought of sin makes you want to throw up, as Graham would say. Ephesians 5.8 says, Once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And the word children there is again technon, the next stage up. Proving what is acceptable to the Lord. That is the object of the Holy Spirit at work in us, that we begin to prove the things that are acceptable to God. And that actually means God will bring us into more and more of his truth and power, his anointing. But he won't give us any of this if we aren't living in the light we have if we are determined to stay at the nepios stage. 
he can't give it to us. I saw a picture once, it was a, a, a triangle like that, and in it were various ellipses of light, some big puddles, some pin dots, and things like that. And I said to the Lord, what's, what's those, all, what are they all about? And he said, well, you have to live in the light that you've got. Anybody living in a big ellipse of light would not get away with the, what the people living in a pin dot of light would. Because you've got the light and you're expected, it's the same old don't put your porridge on your head when you're 13 thing as we talked about yesterday. Um, so he intends that we become more and more light, that we become transformed by the renewing of our minds, as it says in uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Uh, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed so that you might test and approve what's the good, acceptable and perfect will of God. The only way you're going to do that is by getting in his word, because otherwise you ain't going to know what is his good, acceptable and perfect will. So you're going to be not in a big puddle of light. You cannot be, because it is the word of God that sheds. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a... Finish it for me, please. Light to my path. Thank you. So that you have got the light coming into your life through the word of God. If you get into the word and you feel condemned, tell the Holy Spirit, give it to him. It says, on my back again, Holy Spirit, I want to grow in my ability to discern what's your will for me, what's your good, pleasing and perfect will. This is the way that we grow. It's ever so simple. But he won't give us if anything more if we're not living in the light that we have, if we're determined to stay a baby. So the characteristics we might see at this stage, sometimes I've had to say no to people, um, and that seems like when you're at the technon stage, people have got half a dozen good answers uh, about why you shouldn't say no to them, <laughs> if you see what I mean. Because they'll say, oh, well, God's told me that's and no, that's and so, and I think, well, it doesn't line up with the way I'm seeing it, but I don't see you getting away with that. And then that is major insult time, and you see the tantrum, which only goes to prove where they were in the first place. Uh, because they go off in a tantrum, uh, they probably say, well, I don't want to come here anymore because, you know, you're off base on one thing, whatever happens. So they won't receive it. This is where the correction at this age, they don't like. Um, it happens particularly when people are moving with the gift of prophecy in churches they'll take the word to the elders the elders will say i think this needs working on or it's not really the word of god and and so they'll go off and join the next church down the road who will listen to them you know they won't take it because they're proving that they are immature and what they're doing is placing their gifting way above their character and in my experience god doesn't do that there's a lovely little book by um, David Wilkerson. I think it's called The Secrets of the Vine. It's a tiny little one in the Prayer of Jabez series, a little tiny thing like this. And in this he says he got to the stage where something was going on in his life and he didn't know what it was. So he went to this man whom he respected and the man just looked at him. He told him what was the problem, how he was feeling. This man just looked at him and went, oops. What I'm doing, CD, is putting my left hand about two feet above my right hand. And he looked at the man and he said, I don't understand. So the man said, well, your gifting's up here, but your character's down there. And God has got to bring your character up to match your gifting. God is always more interested in character or the fruit of righteousness 
than he is in gifting. Gifting are like baubles on a tree that can be added at any time, but character grows off the root. The fruit grows off the root of the tree, and that is what takes time. That is what we're not prepared to do. A lot of uh, people are not because they look into the world's ways of doing things. I want success. If I can't get it in the world, I'll get it through doing my the Christian thing. That's the way they see it, that they can get what they wanted out there in here. Sometimes, too, at this stage, there is a hidden lifestyle. Uh, with some people, it can just be secret sin. Uh, we are one thing in public and another in private. The funniest thing <laughs> happened to us when the guys were coming over from Frinton. Suddenly, the Lord said, you go over to them. And one of them said, oh, now you'll see what we're really like. <laughs> and what I realised was that I was getting the Sunday face. I hadn't realised that before, oh innocent one that I am. I was getting, what a good boy am I. I'm doing everything you told me, you know. But now you'll come over and find us out. You'll find out what we're really doing. It made me laugh. Oh dear. Anyway, so sometimes uh, people have got the, uh, they're up one minute and down the next, you know, unpredictable behaviour they're like one minute and dark the next and it's very hard to sort of keep keep track of where they are sometimes they have all the bad attitudes of the elder brother um, in the prodigal son story in Luke 15 or the Pharisee thank God I'm not like other men and when you find someone who's mature you will find they will always find someone who is better than they are I remember Graham saying um, when people were asking him to go and speak and he said, oh no, you need so-and-so, he's much better at this than I am. You know. So here you see maturity, when they will push someone else on to the stage rather than themselves. And sometimes too at this stage they have surface relationships but no real de depth. And, and life always challenges your relationships as well as your gifting. These people can't accept responsibility for themselves or they make a mess and they don't clear it up. Remember when I heard <laughs> Graham teach on this? He said, and I quote, it's not the job of the elders to walk around with a shovel. We are not a circus. My job is not to clean out the elephant's cage every day. <laughs> it would be helpful if you make a mess that you actually think about tidying it up. Okay, so the principal thing here is that they will people these technons will get free, but they can't stay free because there's always two battles over any issue: one battle to get free and the other to stay free. Stay free. People receive deliverance over something, but they don't keep it. Six or nine months later, we have to pray with them all over again for the same thing. They got free, but they can't stay free. So this age group have to grow in their own ability to win their own battles. You cannot fight their battles for them. They have got to exercise their own will muscles and their own faith muscles. But it's when you come to start pushing them out to do that that you get the argument. No, it's like the uh, mother bird chasing them around the edge of the nest, you know, because she wants them to fly. And then all going round and round the edge of the nest trying to catch up with them to give them a shelf. Battles and fighting is very important in the realm of the spirit and all of us are going to have two battles through our life. That's to get free and stay free and battles are nothing to be afraid of.
that's the way things grow in us we don't like it God gives us battles so as he can give us victories some of us look at the battle and think defeat right away we don't actually want the battle we're convinced that the battle is of the devil it might have been caused by him but it's been allowed by God so why does he give us battles because he wants to give us victories so we have to have the fight the end result is never in question because the victory is his and in him we have it the end result we are condemned to victory we must understand that in any battle we are on the winning side because one with God is a majority so whatever life takes you into you have the victory and personal victory is the foundation of our life and if we are in ministry our ministry too private victories always precede public ones very important principle here if you're aspiring to ministry in any way if you're going to have public victories in your ministry they are preceded by private victories in your personal life always because everything public is worked out in private first that's why we don't want to rush into public ministry before we're released by God or those mistakes which we will make will be even more acute and embarrassing because they will be seen by everybody you're standing at the front and there you are egg on face so we have to go through the training period wait for him to train us and he knows the timing he will release you when he's good and ready I can remember years ago sitting in that chair and saying I am like a wineskin full to burst I'm ready to speak next week I didn't feel a god thing at all and I thought I was so glad God didn't release me then when I didn't even think about it it starts getting me to speak I'm not even thinking about it. it's not in my agenda it's not in my thinking at all have conferences he said you might <laughs> I feel like the guy on the you know what Mary I know what pregnant is has anybody heard that CD we've got oh, going off on one again it's um, Jen Larkham's brother um can't think of his justin justin reese and he has done it's not a send-up but it's a christmas thing about the whole um conception and, and and all that and he plays all the parts in it and the first one he is joseph in love with this girly mary and mary goes away and sends him a postcard from the temple he's gone up to see her aunt you know Elizabeth who's pregnant well would you know it you know when he gets all this I think the first one on is actually Zechariah and and uh, he says the, the angel says to him dumb you are and dumb you will be you know it's that sort of thing and and when Mary comes back he says put on a bit of Paul can't you Mary <laughs> 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 so he gives her a cuddle and says put on a bit of Paul can't you Mary so she says I'm, I'm pregnant, Joe. You are. <laughs> you are. I'm gonna have a baby. I know what pregnant is, Mary. He says, <laughs> "Who's the slime ball that's done this?" <laughs> so she tells him about an angel. Oh, all glowing was he? Yeah, I'll bet. And it's so funny, isn't it? I've done a digression. I don't know how I got there, but it's really, really funny. She sent it to us a couple of Christmases ago. Absolutely brilliant. Anyway, that's by the way. 
<laughs> so we don't want to rush into into uh, into public ministry. Never rush anything with God except obedience. Rush into that. When uh, God took June out of full time work, He gave her like fire instructions, didn't He? Fire drill. We got them upstairs. And the first one was, learn to come the moment I call you. Your life might depend on it. It was instructions on obedience, instant obedience. So, growing up in God. We grow in relationship with God through obedience, through practice of the truth, through having a love for God, and through having a love for the people of God. And because we're willing to accept discipline and restraint is so important, both discipline and restraint. And God tests our development always. He's always testing what he is doing. Oh, it's that. He's always, he'd make a great engineer. He's always testing. He builds something and then he tests it to see what it's capable of. of. So when God builds something in your life, he will always test it. I used to describe it like, um, you know, the seven bridge that's got all those metal things across it. I could see this thing, the tensioning and testing that went on with steel because he would stretch it to breaking point and then he would stretch again so that each time I got bigger because he was stretching and I, even before, way before I uh, got this teaching from Graham I knew what was going on I could feel it in my spirit and I know what it is now and another picture that he used to give me was in a, in a smithies where the um, blacksmith had got the horseshoe in the tongs and he would plunge it into the fire until it was red hot then he'd bring it out and he'd bash it with this hammer Then <laughs> he'd plunge it in a bucket and then the whole process would start all over again and that was what was happening in my life through situations in and out in and out, in and out, shake it all about it went on all the time and it still does stretching, testing, making more room inside us for himself as I said before, there has to be a displacement. You have got to go in order to make room for him. That's one of the laws of life in the spirit. It's about displacement. And as I said, the Holy Spirit said to me the other night when I was sitting at the table, I don't like living in a box. I like to stretch. And I could see him stretching his legs and arms out there. He wanted room to move. He'd been cramped up with his knees under his chin. And he did not want to live like that inside God's people. He wants room to move. Sometimes people describe it as, uh, you know, you've moved house or he, uh, you've moved out and you've left all your furniture behind and he moves in and he looks around and he thinks, I don't like this furniture, don't like that settee, I'll get rid of it. So we start to hang on to it because these are the things in our lives that he wants to throw out. We say, I've always had it, it's been there for years. Yeah, well, I don't like it. I want it to go. And that's what he's doing with the things in our lives that he's saying they've got to go. So he's always testing to see what you're capable of in terms of how much you've taken on board of this thing, how far he can trust you with it and what work he's yet to do. He knows those things, but most of our testing is to get us to see where we are. That's why when we're brought face to face with stuff, 
we react. We don't like it. We never think, we always think we're somewhere where we aren't if we are those who are prone to measure ourselves. And I'm always saying to people, it says in Corinthians, they measure themselves by themselves and they are not wise. Don't ever think to yourself, well, I'm not doing too bad. You know, I've got this sorted and I've got, because God will come along and say, are you all right there, are you? Right, let's just do a little test here. And it'll all fall apart. So don't do it. It's important that we understand the ways of God or we will flounder from one crisis to another, never growing, never understanding what's going on, calling out for deliverance, blaming everybody else, and never seeing the growth opportunity that God's holding out to us. It's actually basic stuff. If you understand the ways of God, you begin to get to cooperate with what he's doing. Joyce and I didn't enjoy what happened to her earlier in the year, but I think we both decided at the outset we were going to squeeze every bit of revelation out of the circumstance so that we grew through it. I know I did in all sorts of ways. Because for me, it came at a time when God had given me a clear road for what he wanted me to do this coming year. And I'm thinking, straight road, laid out before me, concentrate on teaching, and in my heart I was going for it. And all of a sudden, emergency stop, brakes are replied, everything's up in the air, Joyce's health was in jeopardy, or so it appears, and everything had to be put on hold. So... It's a total contradiction. And in the midst of this, his voice came to me, there will be no disruption. So it had to be for me, business as usual, while Joyce went through and came out the other end. To some, this might have looked as if I was uncaring because the school went ahead just the same, even though she was going into hospital. And we all knew it. she was going in and out for a test and one thing and another. But the th stuff was going on, but God had said, you're doing it. So I had my instructions, I had to carry on what I was doing. His ways aren't our ways. I could have said, oh Lord, no, that's not very kind. I need to be going with Joyce, da di da di da He would tell me when I could go with her and he would tell me when I couldn't go with her. And that was the way it went. So, beloved, are you beginning to see that there's more to this Christian walk than you thought? Are you beginning to see that this is a partnership a bridal partnership in which you cooperate wholeheartedly with the one who absolutely adores you in order that he may bring you into a deeper and deeper revelation of himself and what his purpose is for your life in order that his will may be done on earth and the kingdom may established be, be established in you this is all about us getting the work done the church the body doing the work that Jesus prepared for us in advance to do, that his kingdom might come through us. That's what we're here for. Mm. We're not here marking time till we get to heaven. We're here training for reigning. Because before we get to the eternal state, we have the reigning and ruling on the renewed earth. So we've got to what? We've got to do. So we will only be given authority over things to the extent we have earned that authority during the time we are here. So you get to choose 
whether you're going to rule over one city, ten cities or whatever. So it's the parable of the seeds again, bringing forth thirty, sixty, a hundredfold. I declared right early on in my Christian walk I wanted to be a hundredfold. And when I brought forth a hundredfold, I want another hundredfold. I just want to keep the multiplication going. You've got to aim for something, haven't you? We cannot settle for a life that's ordinary. We're destined for something so much greater than the life that our neighbours are living. Deuteronomy 8.1 says, Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live a spelling mistake and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord your God has given you and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you and prove you and see what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not he knew what would happen he just needs you to know so all of us have to come face to face with what we're like without Jesus. Then we have to understand what we're capable of with Jesus. And we're learning right now to live somewhere between those two places. God will test you so that you will know what you're like without Jesus. And that is very important for every single one of us because God doesn't hide us from that. In fact, he engineers the test. Have you realised that there are many, many times when you suddenly find yourself in a setup? As much as you would try to avoid it, he will set up a situation for you that he wants you to go through. So that's where you begin to position yourself correctly before him. Because your position before him affects how you pray how you perceive what's going on affects how you stand affects how you pray so he's teaching us in every situation what's your perspective on this Lord I know what mine's like but what's yours so okay it gives you his perspective then you say how do I position myself then finally father how do I pray and going through that perspective position petition you'll see answers to prayer every single time don't rush into prayer to get yourself out of what he spent a lot of time and money getting you into so that he can deal with things in your life and show you his greatness and his goodness and his thumbs up and his Graham would say cheesy grin often I see the Lord laughing at me well, that's all right. He enjoys the pickles that I get myself into. So it's a vital principle in spiritual growth that you understand God's testing of you because what we're talking about here is life in the spirit. Moving from that nepios stage where it's all what I taste, what I want, what I can handle, what I can have, the whole thing of, of grasping and fleshly living to the transition to beginning to move in the spirit of God and his will for your life we come to actually a place of realistic self-appraisal we look at ourselves and see ourselves as we really are not as we wish we were we all have to come to that because then we will know what God is doing in us and what he's doing equally through us 
Most people only know one thing. They know what their ministry is, but they couldn't tell you at any specific given time what God's doing in them. That's food for thought, isn't it? It's a good question. Okay, Father, what are you doing in me and what are you doing through me? Because he can't do through you what he hasn't done in you. That is why this is so important. He cannot live his life through you while you are still the primary thing. He can't do it because what's coming through is powerless. The flesh is totally powerless. It's only the spirit that has power. So we want to find out what God's doing in us and what he's doing through us. So as I said, if you are Spartan ministry, you must know both and cooperate in both areas. And there will be things that if you're in ministry will push you into, you do not want to go into. I used to stand in the kitchen hanging onto the unit and saying, I don't want to go in there. That's into the counselling room. I'm hanging on, I don't want to go, don't want to go. Go in there, I'll meet you in there. I don't want to go, I don't want to Get in there, I'll meet you in there. <laughs> I'd get in there and he would meet me in there. So what is God doing in you right now? Questions for you to ask for 10 minutes. Is there anything that he is seeking to correct? Is there anything he is talking to you about in your own life? And do you know what he's doing in you right now? It's a good time for break, so we'll take 10 minutes for coffee or something. Thank you. Okay, I just want to. It's on eight. Yeah, that's it. Just want to. This bit I've headed up taking ground from the enemy. It's so important that we know what God's doing in us because if we don't know this, we will fail the test automatically because you won't recognise the situation that is meant to bring you into victory and you'll see it as something else. God is testing us, but we can't possibly fail the test because, as Graham says, you get to take it again and again and again and again and again and again and again until you pass. So he's testing us because it's his way of bringing us to the next level. Do you remember the steps I had up there early in the weekend? And the next dimension of growth. So it, the whole process starts all over again. And we never get to get there. We're always on the journey. Travel is with us. We think Concord, he thinks Camel. And there you are, enjoying yourself, and everything's got coming up roses, and suddenly it shifts the, the scenery, and you, you're stuck with a whole load of sand. So we deal with the areas that he's asking us to deal with, or we stay a child in that area until it's been dealt with. So he doesn't say, oh dear, I can't seem to get their attention. Oh well, he doesn't. It stays there, has to be dealt with. So if there is a part of your life that you haven't responded yet to him, then you may be a child in that area, though you might be more mature in other areas. There's a part of your life where you're still undeveloped or underdeveloped, and that is the place where the enemy will camp every single time. He never attacks the maturity in you, he attacks the immaturity. And that is why he's there. That's why God allows it. Graham, you hear him say that, that the enemy is his, God's sheepdog, though he little understands it. He's there 
to point out in us the areas where we're not in a place of victory and understanding the love of God for us. So he attacks, thinking he's going to pull us down, and God says, I'm so glad he's gone there, because there's actually something, I'm camping right behind him, and there's more with us than there are with him, and I want to deal with that bit. So you get into church situations, and you say they're acting like children. Yeah, absolutely. Because he attacks in the areas of our life and the lives of others where we are undeveloped because we haven't responded to what God is doing. If I could say that is what is happening in X church right now. <laughs> I won't mention the name of it. There are undeveloped areas where they've refused to listen because they, they want to go there and so they haven't responded and they're undeveloped and now the enemy's coming in and scattering the sheep. But God's in control. The enemy knows how to put a finger on that part of our life. So the test that we're constantly failing, that's the area he will constantly group round your life. And that is why God will keep giving you tests in that area, not to bring you down, but to give you a victory. Because he always leads us in triumph in Christ. So we have to let Jesus manifest in the area where we have always blown it. It's called living in the Spirit. So whatever your particular area is, that is the area, that is the fruit. I used to say to the girls at the beginning of the year, ask the Lord what fruit he wants to grow in your life this year, because all your tests will be around that. If he's, if he's going to grow the fruit of patience, everything will get your wick. <laughs> everything. If it's long-suffering, everybody you come up against, you will just have to be exceedingly gracious, loving and patient. I can still remember the one that, that he worked my first level of long-suffering in, because again, there are levels in this. Mm -hmm. If you think you've got long-suffering and joy licked, wait until he comes round it again. <laughs> it's called living in the Spirit. If you have an area of your life where you've constantly blown it, you should understand that the goodness of God in your life is camped around that very area. The enemy cannot get away with anything, you know. Look at Job. Have you Who pointed him out? Mm -hmm. Thank you, Father. He just pointed... Have you considered my servant Job is blameless? Well, now you come to think of it. No, I haven't. I'll go and see what I can do with him. So when the enemy comes in like a flood, God can lift you up in that area by giving you the victory that Jesus died to give you. Hence the prayer that I gave you, which says, I want to come into everything Jesus died to give me. And that will probably cause a storm or two in your life if you keep praying that one. Because if say, I'll take you at your word, right, I will do that then. So not only is the enemy camped around the area, so is the goodness, the kindness and the mercy of God. Don't you love him? I'm always saying to him, it doesn't matter how difficult it is, Father, I love your ways. I can go to bed having had a swine of a day. The next door neighbour says, swine, he says. When the horses used to eat his trees, swine. When the, any, the birds come and peck his foot, oh, swine. He's <laughs> lovely. So I, I love God's ways. I don't always like them because they're hard on my flesh, but I love his ways. They are not mine and they're so high and they're brilliant. So the next one we come to is the paid on 
that's P-A-I-D-I-O-N and that is literally means a half formed person half grown talking about adolescence teenager bit uh, Luke 7.30 Jesus sort of used the terms a lot and he used it about the Pharisees um, Luke 7.30 but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves not having been baptised by John so what does Jesus say to what then shall I compare the men of this generation and what are they like they are like children they are like paid on they're like half formed people sitting in the marketplace calling to one another saying we played the flute for you and you didn't dance we sang a dirge and you didn't weep he's likening them to half formed people but the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God for themselves not having been baptised by him and the Lord said unto them what shall I liken the men of this generation is men they're like children this generation are like half grown, not mature, fully not fully developed people. They misunderstood the role of John the Baptizer and they misunderstood the role of Christ. They were only concerned with their own ministry. We played the flute and you didn't respond, we mourned and you didn't do this. They are preoccupied with themselves and their ministry, their part in it. You can see people greatly anointed in gift and greatly undeveloped in personal life when you look around at ministries. They're often characterised by displays of carnality. They react to things, they get angry at things, they are judgmental, they are half-formed. When I went to a conference in 98, when I was still at the community church, Graham Cook was speaking, Derek Brown was speaking, and Peter Stark was speaking, and it was called who's building the house. Now before I went, Alex asked me to ask Graham if he would come and speak at our church. So I'm up there thinking, how do I do, how do, I do this Lord? Knowing that Derek Brown had the oversight, the apostolic oversight of, this ch of the community church, I thought I'd better tell him before I ask things. <laughs> So I did. I never did get as far as asking Graham, but what I saw was a reaction. So much so that I gave him the scripture of myself that I'm only a child. You know, when Jeremiah's call, <laughs> you know, I can't. I, I, sorry, I only asked what I was asked to ask. It was ever so cross with me. So there we are, it's where you see these things, bless him, I'm, we're all in the process, you said that there's not um, um, an accusation, condemnation or a finger pointing, this is just one thing that happens in my life and the Lord reminded me of it there, I, I honour him, he's a, he's a brilliant teacher, but that particular hit a button on him, he didn't want somebody else, it's my church, he said I'm supposed to be overseeing it, what's he want him there for? Well, don't ask me, ask him! <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear, oh there we are. So 
So the problem is, as I was saying before, you can only you can go to a certain level in gifting and anointing, and then you hit a ceiling and you level off until your character catches up. I've already told you about that little book, Bruce Wilkinson's one, The Secrets of the Vine, and it's all about pruning, bringing your character up to match your gifting. And it's happening happening majorly right now in the body. Um, amongst leadership this is what it's all about helps you to understand it isn't the devil this is God bringing us up to speed in various areas of our lives and their lives because when things happen in leadership he's also looking at what's how we are reacting to it so if we're saying well tut tut you know and pointing the, the finger and talking about this he is the God who sees and hears do remember, he sees and hears everything you say, everything you do, even if you don't speak it, he sees what's going on in your heart. And he says, ahem, ahem, I think we need to address this. That wonderful scripture with, um, I'm not sure if it was Elijah or Elisha, probably Elijah, where um, the king of Syria said there's a spy in the camp. And they said, no, not so, sire. There's a prophet in the camp of Israel and he knows what goes on in the king's bedroom. Yeah. As Graham would say, if I want to know anything, I only have to ask. I thought, now there's a thought. But it's actually the case if you want to know anything and God is prepared to tell you, he'll tell you. Otherwise you can, don't come here asking me, that's not for you to know. But that will help you if you're wanting to pray for your leadership. <coughs> Father, what are you doing here? How do I pray? Yeah. How do I pray so that these people can understand what is happening in their lives and make sense of it before they go off pop? So is God bringing us up to speed? It's the dust storm. It's the two pathways. You can actually see the choices going on and you get to choose or you get called into the pathway that God wants you to take knowing his ways and it's brilliant and it makes sense of stuff so this is what happens with half-formed people you tend to find that they will fizz for a little while and then it's like the light goes out like a shooting star they don't stay connected in the heavens and somewhere there is a falling to earth if you uh, see John 21 2 this is the disciples themselves after the crucifixion and the end of Luke is funny as well. John 21. 2. They'd given up everything they received from Jesus in that period and they went back to fishing, didn't they? Do you remember? I'm going fishing. They were together Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel, son of Cana, in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee the two others of his disciples Simon Peter said to them I'm going fishing in other words it's all blown I'm going back to what I know what to do how often do we think I'll go back to what I know and they said to we'll go with you as well we're fed up with it too and they went out got into the boat and that night they caught nothing when the day was now breaking Jesus stood on the beach yet the disciples didn't know it was Jesus and he said therefore to them children, lads, you don't have any fish do you? <laughs> no. So he said to them, put your net down on the other side and you'll find a catch. 
Come along, lads. Have you been so long with me? <laughs> they've given up everything they've received in that three-year period. And Peter said, I'm had enough. I'm going fishing, going back to what I know, back to what I understand, jacking it in. None of it's worked. I'm off. And they all went with him. And, of course, on the road to Emmaus, you get that classic thing where they're all going along grumbling and growling and we thought and we thought and we thought, you know, all in the thinker. And then Jesus drops the scales from their eyes and they see him. Did not our hearts burn within us? This thing between areas can get right in the way, you know. So they fish all night and they get nothing. And Jesus, standing on the shore, says, Children, any fish? Have they heck? And the word he uses there is that word paid on. He's saying half-baked ones, half-formed ones. You've got so far, but you've lost it. He can't call them mature, even though they witness so many things. They've seen miracles, time after time, all sorts. Some of them saw him transfigured, and Peter even saw the ear that he cut off placed back on by a miracle. You'd think that would do it, wouldn't you? Mm. Doesn't, you see? Doesn't bring them into maturity. So he has to say to them, children, adolescents, teenagers, lovingly, follow my instructions, cast your net on the other side and you'll get something.